There we go. Yay! All right. <laughs> Let's pray. Feels like we need a little of that. God, thank you for a day that we're reminded of joy. Thank you for the beauty of music and the ways it draws us into your presence. Thank you for community and laughter. And yet we recognize that this is also a day that is difficult for some of us. And I pray that even now your spirit would be at work bringing comfort as well as joy. And so as we continue now in worship, I ask Holy Spirit, we ask Holy Spirit, would you continue to move among us? Bring your word to life again. Give us eyes to see you and to see ourselves and then to turn towards you. Soften our hearts, open our ears, give us mind that is open to what you would want to say to us today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my name is Suzanne Vogel. I'm the lead pastor here at the bridge, and I'm so grateful for those of you who are worshiping with us online and those of you who maybe are guests for the first time with us this morning. Um, I am really excited about this afternoon. Uh, we have, as a church, thanks to Pastor Bep and her, our kids' ministry team, for seven years, we've been hosting some kind of Christmas opportunity uh, to tell our friends and neighbors the Christmas story. And it's been creative. Some of you may remember, do you remember when we did the Living Nativity over at our original campus at the Meredith Drive campus? Yeah, some of you might remember this lovely event. Thank goodness that sweet baby camel did not have teeth yet. Um, because, you know, sometimes you just want to get a picture and you end up with a fistful of slobber. Anybody relate? Yeah. Some days are like that. And I think that reality is captured pretty perfectly in a video I found this week that I, it kind of felt like it described the day. more time. Let's do theme is joy. We've talked about light, we've talked about love, and this week we talk about joy. And in the midst of a world of up and downs, how do we talk about joy faithfully, biblically? How do we cultivate joy when we're the person on the, on the uh, trying to cross the river rather than the person holding the camera? And I think that's a tricky thing, because I know for a fact 
Some of you danced your way into this place, eager with excitement and joy, wearing your Christmas garb or not, but ready. And others of you crawled in this morning, brokenhearted, barely able to get through the doors. And as we sing joy to the world on those days, how do we hold the fullness of that together? It's hard. And so this morning, I'm grateful for the help of the Psalms. We've been using the Psalms because they're part of the Revised Common Lectionary, and we've been using them to help us make our way through Advent. And our Psalm for this morning, I think, is perfect for this task. It is Psalm 126. It's a song of ascent. Now, the songs of ascent are uh, a set of 15 psalms that the Israelites would sing together as they were going up to Jerusalem for the religious sacred holidays. It's a road trip psalm, really. And so I want to invite Jeff Strange to come up and read, and I want you to listen for the ways that we might hold the tension. Psalm 126. When the Lord brought us back, when the Lord brought back the captive to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And when it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs in, of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, ca carrying sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jeff. All right, we'll put this over here. So, the psalm begins with the Israelites remembering a time when God really showed up for them, like really showed up for them. Now, it could be that they were remembering their deliverance from slavery in the Exodus. It could be that they're remembering the time that God brought them into the promised land. It could be that they were remembering how God met them last week. We don't know for sure. All we know is that it, this was a time when they were overwhelmed by God's goodness. It was better than they could have ever dreamed. Laughter and exuberance were the natural responses. Now let me invite you, just pause for a second. Can you think of a time like that? Maybe it was the day that your firstborn child came into the world. Maybe it was a day when God answered a long-held prayer. Maybe, I don't know what that day would be for you, but there are days, right? when all is beauty and laughter and joy, and God wells us up. But in verse 4, the tone of this psalm shifts. Joy is now a memory. In fact, the people are in need. And in the second half of the psalm, it's clear. They are not in a season of joy anymore. And so I want to read it again, and I want you to listen for two really uh, important images that come out of this psalm. The first is verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, the psalmist prays, like the streams 
in the Negev. Now that phrase, streams in the Negev, probably doesn't mean anything to you or to me because we're not familiar with the territory and the geography of Israel. But I want to explain and give you a picture of what it looks like. See, the Negev is the bone-dry land on the southern border of the Promised Land where it butts up against the wilderness of Sinai. It's a desert where there are gulches that are barren and dry. And that, I think, is a perfect picture for how we feel some days. Barren, dry, lifeless, like even existing is a struggle. And then the psalmist prays, Lord, restore us. Send rain, because when the rainy season comes, well then, those gulches, they fill up with water, streams of water, and life bursts forth again, right? You can see it here. Sometimes there's even so much rain that there are flash floods that come through the desert, and it changes everything in the landscape. That's the picture they are asking for. God, we're barren, we're dry, send rain, restore us. Now the second image is found in verses 5 and 6. Maybe you can pay attention and hear it for yourself. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Now, this image is one that we Midwesterners can get our heads and hands around, right? The psalmist is contrasting two seasons. The first is in the winter, where the land is dormant and bare. It's before the seed has been planted. I mean, it's the way the fields look now, right? If you drive out past the metro, even by this much. Everything looks dead. And again, I think this is a beautiful picture of how it can feel at times for us. There are seasons when all we can do is weep, and our tears are the seeds. But the psalmist looks forward in anticipation towards harvest season, right? When everything is green and the corn is ready to harvest or the wheat is ready to be brought in, this is the picture of abundance and beauty and joy. Both of these images, the rivers in the Negev and the planting and the harvest, well, I think they bring us an important truth about life of faith. There is a seasonal reality to joy and sorrow. We say that again. There is a seasonal reality to joy and to sorrow. Now that sounds really obvious, right? We know it here. But I think, I think if I just poke a little bit and a, maybe nudge your heart a little bit, I suspect that there's a lot of us who believe two distinct lies that stand in opposition to this truth. And depending on your personality, you might be prone to one or the other. The first lie is that we can never be sad if we love God, right? If we really trust God, then we shouldn't cry. We have nothing to be sad about. 
There's nothing ultimately God's going to win, so we shouldn't be sad. We've been taught and believed that depression and sadness are unfaithful. But Psalm 126 makes this super clear. There are dry seasons. There are seasons where everything feels barren and lifeless. There are seasons where there is weeping and tears. There are seasons when all we can do is put one foot in front of the other to go out in faith. Tears rolling down our eyes. And that is part of what it means to be human and follow Jesus. Yes, Advent, we celebrate the fact that God came near and that ultimate joy has come to the world. Yes. And we celebrate and look forward to the day when Jesus will come back and make everything new. And, rest, and we hear in Revelation that he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more sorrow and no more sickness and no more death. But today is not that day, friends. We live in the in-between. We live in the day when it is not yet. But the beautiful news is that God came near. And you know what? Jesus himself wept. Jesus himself experienced pain and suffering. And he was called in scripture a man of, anybody remember? Sorrows. Acquainted with our grief. The gift of Advent is that God did not stay apart from us. God did not stay back here saying, you all suffer I'm not getting involved. Instead, God said, I will come and I will stand with you and I will suffer alongside of you and I will hold you with my presence until the day when joy comes again. So that's the first lie, that there are not seasons of spiritual dryness and weeping, just as surely as there are seasons of winter and places of desert. But if that's the first lie that some of us are tempted to believe, the second and equally powerful lie, I believe, is that sadness and suffering will never end. That suffering and sadness will never end. Let me give you an example. Um, do you remember back in the days of the middle of the pandemic, you know, when there were, the planes were empty, and our trips were rescheduled three different times, and, you know, all of the things were in chaos. There was no vaccine in sight yet. And I remember our family was trying to take a family trip we'd planned with my parents. It got rescheduled three times. And I remember after the third time, I had a moment where I thought, I will never travel again. We're never going anywhere. This is never going to get better. Life will never go back to normal. Now, that sounds silly now, right? Because now, today, we know. We're back to normal. You can travel anywhere you want. I mean, you're likely to be delayed on your flight, but you can go anywhere you want, right? We have resumed back to life. Not completely, but slowly and gradually, the season has changed, right? And... In the middle of that, it's hard to imagine that. It's hard to remember that. See, that's what grief can do to us. In the weeks and months after someone we love 
dies, it can be difficult to imagine that we will ever laugh again. In the middle of a depressive season, it, the pain comes in whispers, you'll never be better. There will never be hope. But Psalm 126 promises us, rain will come. Seed will grow and bear fruit eventually. Or Psalm 30 says it this way, weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. God does bring back life. And so even in death, the beauty of what Jesus has promised to those of us who trust is that death becomes a comma, not a period. A pause and not the end. So no matter how dark things look today, keep hope. The rain will come. There will be a day of harvest. If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the sorrow will give way to joy as surely as the winter gives way to spring. But that can be hard to remember when you're practically in the middle of it. And so I think this psalm offers three really practical helps when we're in the midst of that dark, difficult place that I think help us regardless of whether we're in the darkness or whether we're in a space of joy. So let me give you those three practical, tangible helps that I think this uh, psalm offers us. The first, remember. 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 This is a psalm that begins by remembering what God has done in the past and recounting. Here's the only trouble. Our memories are terrible. Can I get an amen in the house? Or am I the only one? <laughs> it is difficult to remember accurately the faithfulness of God, to recall times of laughter and joy, particularly when we're in the middle of it in the middle of difficult spaces. So this requires intentionality. And I want to suggest three things you can do to tangibly remember that'll help. The first is to literally sit down and reflect. If you have not yet done the wait with retreat, we have some more back here on the Welcome Center after church. But one of the exercises in this is what's called the Grand Examine. It's an opportunity to look back over the last year intentionally. And so I did this a couple weeks ago. I gathered my journal, my calendar, and my pictures. And can I tell you I was shocked at the things I forgot already. Less than a year later, we have to practice remembering. That's the first suggestion for remembering. Another suggestion is to talk to people who can help you remember who can help you recollect. This is why oftentimes there's so much beauty at the lunch after a funeral, right? Because we tell our stories and we remember the beauty and the joy. It's also why we need to connect with people who've known us for a long time. So I have the privilege of two of my childhood friends are here this morning. We went out and had supper last night. Do not ask them to tell you stories, but we laughed. And I remembered things I haven't thought about in years. We need help remembering. 
The last thing I think that can help us with our memory is spending time in the Word. We need to spend time, particularly when we're, it's dark and it feels closed in, remembering who God is and the promises that God has made that God will never let you down and never let you go. We need to keep remembering who God is. All right, so that's the first thing practically we can do. The second thing that I think this psalm invites us into is choosing community. We are called to bear each other's burdens. Psalm 126 was not meant to be sung alone. It was meant to be sung together. They sang this in community as they went to the temple. Now, recently, I learned from Rabbi Sharon Brous something really beautiful about what would happen when the Jewish people would get to the temple for these religious holidays. I want to share it with you. See, the Jewish people would ascend the steps up to the Temple Mount. They would go through an arched entryway and turn to the right to circle around the perimeter of the temple courtyard. And then they'd exit essentially where they came in. Except, the Mishnah says, which is, by the way, the document that would, would entail these things. It's 2,000 years old. Except, the Mishnah says, for someone who is brokenhearted. That person would go up, ascend the steps, but turn to the left. And they would walk the perimeter from the left. And every single person who would pass them coming from the right would have to stop and say to them, Mahlak, what happened? And then the person would respond, I'm brokenhearted because, because my house was destroyed, because I lost someone I loved. I'm, you, you name it, right? And then the person coming from the right would offer a blessing to that person before continuing on their pilgrimage. Now, that is a profound ancient ritual and a nightmare for introverts. I recognize this. But I think it speaks to something that at the center of their worship was the obligation to see other people and their suffering and to not turn away. And it was an obligation when you came to be honest that you were brokenhearted to worship and to let other people bless you and see you and to not hide. Because if you're brokenhearted, the last thing you want to do is go against the flow in such a public way. But there is a profound spiritual and psychological reality to being seen when we are brokenhearted. And so we need people who say what happened and offer us blessing. So in a moment of vulnerability and risk, I prayed about this all night, but I'm going to do it, and you can send me emails later. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and walk, but I think some of us in the room and online today are pretty brokenhearted. I don't know how we wouldn't be. We've had six deaths in five weeks as a community. We've suffered some major losses this year. 
And so I want to invite you, if you are somebody who has come today suffering that kind of major loss that you're still aching from, maybe the loss of a job you loved, maybe a relationship that's ended or a death that you've experienced, I'm not going to ask you to stand, but would you consider just raising your hand? You don't have to do this. You can even do this if you need to. And if you're online, would you just say, me too? So would some of you raise your hands? I'm, I'm raising my hand with you. All right, now the rest of us, you can put your hands down. I want you to join me, and we're going to pray a blessing over these folks. Um, and if you are not near someone who you saw raise their hand, my guess is you know someone in your heart who is brokenhearted today. And so could we, could we together bless? And if you are comfortable, if you are a person who raised your hand, would you just real quietly hold your hands here? Or if you weren't courageous enough to raise your hand, but you're feeling it, hold your hands here. And those of us who are in a better space today, let's hold out our hands as an act of blessing. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you did not stand apart from us, but you are with us. And thank you for the opportunity, even today, tangibly, as a community, we have to stand with each other. Holy Spirit, would you bless those today among us who are in a season of weeping and tears? Thank you that you are a God of comfort and would you help us to be people who comfort one another. I pray that your light and your life would bring blessing today. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I know there are a few of you who are alert who are like, that was only two, Suzanne. How many? <laughs> uh-huh. Where's the third one? Well, number three, I didn't forget. I just saved the best for last. See, number three is sing. That's why we sing when we come. Because singing evokes memory. Singing embeds truth into our souls. Singing helps ground us and lift our spirits and lift our eyes. Singing, singing sneaks past our head and ministers to our heart. And that's why we spend so much time singing. And so as our last act of worship today, I want to invite you to stand. See, 2,000 years ago on a cold, dark night, a bunch of angels burst into the sky announcing that God had come near. And so I want to invite us to join them. If you are not ready to sing yet, just listen to the people around you and let their song hold you now. <laughs> 